0: Welcome to Impact, podcast ministry of St. Andrew Lutheran Church in Middleton, Wisconsin. Impact features interviews with gifted Bible teachers who will help you gain a greater understanding of Scripture so that it has a greater impact on your life. The host of Impact is Mark Genstead, the staff minister for nurture at St. Andrew.
1: Hi, everyone. It's great to have you listening to this podcast ministry. This time that you were spending with God and His Word is truly time well spent. And we'll say a prayer, and then we'll welcome back Pastor Greg Lyon to finish up 2 Peter chapter 3. Dear Holy Spirit, we ask you to be with us today as we open our Bibles and turn to your Word. We ask that you would help us come to a greater understanding of your Word so that it will have a greater impact on our lives and that we then can have a greater impact on others amen so folks again thank you for being here if this is the first time you're listening to impact i'd like to welcome you to this podcast ministry and invite you to return and maybe maybe it would be best to go back and listen to last week's episode first because this is 2 of 2 we're in the middle of second peter chapter 3 and we'll Finish that up today with our guest, Pastor Greg Lyon from Wisconsin Lutheran College. Welcome back.
2: It's great to be back. Always enjoy being on your podcast.
1: So we ended with a question as we're trying to look into the future here a little bit and see where can we go with Pastor Lyon in the future on impact, because now we're reaching the end of 2 Peter. So you've been a guest on this podcast many times, and we've been in First or Second Peter every time, mm-hmm. but now we're done. So what do you think? Hebrews, James, or did you did you come up with something else?
2: Well, so I'm, I'll throw out two thoughts. One, um, if there's a social media page that St. Andrews or Impact has, I would love to see a poll that goes out there <laughs> to see what everybody wants. Um, I don't know what the timeline is on the release of devotional books from Northwestern Publishing House but I did write a series of devotions on Hebrews. I think I referenced that before. Um, so depending on the timeline of when we're jumping on, could that also jump at the same timeline of, of the release of this book? I'm not 100% sure. So I, I am somewhat partial to Hebrews. That being said, I preached on James just last week, and I had a lot of fun doing that. So how non-committal can I be in answering your question? Uh, I don't really care. There's th- not I a think, stinker in the bunch. All right. I well, that's true. <laughs> uh, I think
1: we do I think we do Hebrews. I okay. mean, you've researched it, you've you've read it, you've studied it, you've preached on it, and and you've written on it now. Mm-hmm. So let's let's do Hebrews.
2: All right. Unless the book comes out and it's bad, then we should have done James. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. All right. Thank you. By the way, Wisconsin Lutheran College here, you've been here last week. You said this is your ninth year, I think, or eighth year.
2: Finishing up my eighth year. Finishing
1: yeah. up your eighth year. How yeah. how are things at the college?
2: Oh, fantastic. Um, this last year we had a record enrollment um, for our freshman class, which was exciting. And um, as you and I are sitting here, we're watching tours going on outside my window. So always looking for those prospects that, that are coming in. Um, yeah, we had a little bit of a, a shift in campus ministry. I think uh, one of your other guests, Pastor Nate Wardell, has has joined us. Uh, so he and I have been working side by side for for about six months or so, and he hasn't gotten rid of me, and I haven't gotten rid of him. So that's been a a good partnership, um, just to watch and watch him do his thing, which he does he does so well. He connects with the students so well, and it's been it's been fun to see him get excited about the ministry. it's it's rejuvenating to have somebody new come in with fresh eyes and a fresh perspective because um, you can kind of fall into routine and, and things like that but you get you get somebody new come in and it's it's just exciting to see what new opportunities um, have we not considered yet so it's been a lot of fun.
1: Great to hear and folks if you would do this for us uh, say a prayer for the ministry here at Wisconsin Lutheran College that this uh, college continues to thrive. Let's go into 2 Peter chapter 3. So folks, uh, again, if you didn't listen last week, probably a good idea to listen to that at some point. Uh, We're going to pick it up here in the middle. Uh, First verse is, where are we at here? So we are going to start today in verse 11, and I'll read that. Peter writes, Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? So there's his question, and then he answers the question. You ought to live holy and godly lives. I'll stop there. So, Pastor, I understand why Peter says that. You ought to live holy and godly lives. That word ought uh, is an interesting word. We don't use that a lot in English. Mm -hmm. It sounds like you should, you must live holy and godly lives. I guess it's kind of a two-part question here. What is he getting at? What, What does he mean by you ought? And then secondly... We don't do that very well, so then what?
2: Yeah. So a couple of things come to mind. I I know when I have students in my office, I usually tell them you're not allowed to use the word should in my office. And that's, that's very similar to what Peter is saying here because the, these are guilt words, right? Should, ought. Um, I, I had a, a counselor friend once say to me that rather than using words like should or ought— she said maybe use the word preferable it would be preferable if you live godly lives right um now that's not what the inspired writer wrote but i but i think i think on a, on its most foundational level um, it's okay for peter to say something like yeah you ought to live a good and holy life um you ought to not murder people you ought to not um you know, live in drunkenness. You ought to not do these things. And and as, as we've talked about before, we have an old Adam in us that scoffs at that and hates that. Um, every time God says you ought to do something, the old Adam says, I- I'm going to do whatever I want. You can't tell me what to do. On the other hand, as Christians living as sinner saints, we have a new man in us, um, that rejoices in living this holy life. So I, I hear these words, and and I realize that if I'm preaching on this, let's say to a group of, of 200 people in a congregation or whatever number it is, um, one person might hear it very differently than the other person. One person might hear that and feel exceptionally guilty for all the times they have not lived a godly and holy life. And that, that guilt can be appropriate because it shows our need for a Savior. Then the person sitting next to them might have already been through that guilt and, and knows that they are full and free in Christ. And they say, what an opportunity to live a godly and holy life. That's one of the things that makes cha- uh, preaching so challenging is you're preaching to sinner saints. Um, so So even rooting something like this in the gospel— Look at what a beautiful opportunity that God has given to you to live your life of faith out of service to your neighbor. Um, I also think back to Hebrews uh, chapter 10, where where, um, the writer to the Hebrews says, "...let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching." Right. We need to be building each other up. This is a good thing as we look forward to the coming of Christ.
1: Very good. And by the way, nice Hebrews reference.
2: Thank you. I'll Chapter try 10. to plug as many of those in as I can.
1: You once said something to me very fascinating, and I just thought of it based on your answer about sinner saints. So so you're you're preaching as a pastor and you see there's two hundred and fifty people in the in the service. You're actually preaching to five hundred people.
2: Yes. You're you preaching know.
1: to to two yeah. times as many yeah. because they're all sinners saints, yeah, right
2: did I say that I that's think really you did. good maybe I misunderstood I, you no no, that's okay that's good. I don't remember saying that, but I'm gonna steal that from myself um yeah, because that's why when when you're preaching, you can't assume either law or gospel because your people need both because they are sinner saints um. So yeah, that's why we we continue to talk about drowning that old sinful nature daily, (laughs) because it's always our constant companion. I'm 100% sinner, 100% saint. Um, And the math doesn't add up, but the more I read scriptures, the more I realize God's good at a lot of things. Math is not one of them. (laughs) Um, I say that jokingly. Everybody understand the joke that was there.
1: Let me let me go on here. This will help us get the context of verse 11. So I, I'll go back and reread verse 11 in case you don't have your Bibles out in front of you today, folks. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives. As you look forward to the day of the Lord and speed its coming. So that puts that verse in some perspective. That phrase, Pastor, speed its coming. Its is the day of the Lord. Mm-hmm. Does spreading the gospel of Jesus speed its coming?
2: Depends on which perspective you're talking about. Because in the last one, in in the last podcast, we talked about how God has that hour, right? He knows the hour. He knows the day. Um, But from my perspective, um, God says that when all of his elect are gathered, that's when the end of the world is going to come. He knows when that's going to happen, but I don't know when that's going to happen. So from the perspective of the human being who does not know when God is coming back, I could say, yes, I'm going to speed its coming by sharing the gospel. And the more people that hear the gospel, the sooner Judgment Day will come. So from my perspective, I would say, yes, it does speed its coming. That doesn't negate, though, the fact that God knows when that's going to happen.
1: Peter says a lot here in Chapter 3 on Judgment Day. Pastor, here's a question that's not really a text question. How spiritually healthy is it for us to think about judgment day as Christians? Should yeah. should we be should we be thinking about judgment day on a on a regular basis?
2: I think so. Um certainly the the scriptures continue to point us ahead um to Jesus return. Um but if the Christian is is focusing on judgment day with a sense of paranoia, then i'm not sure how healthy that is so uh i i don't know that i'm going to be the person standing on the street corner saying judgment day is coming judgment day is coming at the same time what a blessing to to look ahead and say my savior is coming back um judgment day just carries with it this this deep dark apocalyptic kind of idea um that i don't know is always is always beneficial for us to be focusing on the destruction of the world and sending people to hell and like you know Dante's inferno those are the kind of pictures that come to mind unfortunately when we think through judgment day but what a different picture uh the bible paints uh philippians 2 when every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is lord when he when he comes and returns and and the picture from revelation that we get so often of of a bridegroom coming back and um, uh, dressing his bride beautifully. And and there's so many comforting. Every tear will be wiped away. You know, so many comforting pictures. So when I'm going through it on this side, it's always good for us to remember um, even the best that this world has to offer is not good enough for us because God is preparing us for something better. So if you're thinking about Judgment Day in the sense of, what a comfort, what a relief, what a something better that God has in store for me, then yes. If you're thinking of it in Dante's Inferno kind of language, maybe not always the most helpful.
1: In verse 13, Peter uses this name for heaven, the home of righteousness. What does that name tell us about heaven?
2: It certainly is the opposite of what we have now. Um, Tangent just a little bit here, but the picture of clothes all throughout Scripture, I think it, if I if I had more time or more interest, maybe somebody else does, just do a a paper or research on how God uses clothes throughout the Scripture, because if you think about it, it starts, there's this really fascinating phrase where at the end of creation, Adam and Eve were naked. They didn't even realize their own shame, and then as soon as they sinned, shame stepped in. And they realized they were naked, and God said, yeah. So he clothed them, right? He gave them these cloths so that they could cover themselves. Um, so clothes became this, this thing that covers our shame. Now you fast forward all the way to the end of Scripture, and we, we get images of clothes again. And what does Christ do? He clothes us in his righteousness, right? So it's it's no longer— A clothing that covers our shame, but it's a clothing that totally replaces who we were, and now we are covered in righteousness. So it's a home of righteousness with righteous people. So not only am I living a righteous life, but others are living a righteous life towards me, and we're all going to do it together before the throne of God. Uh, What a beautiful thing that is.
1: Here's verse 13 in its entirety but in keeping with his promise we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth the home of righteousness i want to back up and and get a thought from you what what it, what is peter saying a new heaven and a new earth
2: yeah yeah do we talked about that some last time right whether whether we're talking about a new heaven a new earth in the sense of physically new or or remodeled um i am not sure that i 100% know um but we do have the idea of new, and, and what I like about the idea of new is that implies that what we're going through right now at some point will be past, right? It will be old. Um, we have those references in Scripture about the former things will not be remembered, um, and, and how important that is because, uh, well, I mentioned in the last podcast that I'm working on this uh, thesis regarding trauma. And so often trauma is um, living the experience in the present that happened in the past. Um, and, and to just tell someone who's experienced trauma, well, forget the former things. Well, It's not that easy. They can't just put that out of mind. But when you hear those kind of passages, that there will be a new heaven, a new earth, the former things will not be remembered. There is a lot of things that I wish I didn't remember anymore, um, but now it's all going to be new. And and those other things, the life that we're living now, that's going to be old um, and, and that'll be past. So I, I don't know. I'm excited to see what a new heaven and a new earth is actually going to be. Uh, but I think the thing we can certainly focus on is the newness of it.
1: And folks, uh, keep this in mind. Maybe make a note. A mental note, or write this down in your Bible, Isaiah chapter 65. Read that chapter and hear what Isaiah says about this new heaven and new earth that awaits God's people, the home of righteousness. Verse 14, Pastor, make every effort, sounds like you ought, from verse uh, 12, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. I know what it can't be saying. It, it can't be saying salvation is mine by earning that, by, mm-hmm. by being spotless and blameless, I'm going to earn salvation. So what is it saying?
2: Well, again, the gospel gives what it requires, right? So um, I will not be standing in the presence of God with any spot or any blemish. Um, that's just a reality that—, that unrighteousness cannot stand before righteousness and live forever. Um, but the the ideas of spotless and blameless, those are images that are always applied to what Christ gives to us, right? Um, is it in Revelation where where John saw um, a lamb without blemish or defect? Um, and we had the Passover lamb from the uh, from from Exodus had to be the perfect spotless, uh, blemishlessness, whatever word that unblemished. is, unblemished. Unblemished. There, there it is. Um, that that's applied to what Christ is. So Christ gives to us that very thing that He requires of us.
1: And verse fifteen. Now we're kind of switching into a different topic here. Uh, verse fifteen. I'll say gives credit where credit is due. In terms of the writings of Paul, come from the mind of God. They don't come from Paul's mind. I want to read that verse, bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul, who also wrote with you the wisdom that God gave him. So knowing that Paul's writings come from the mind of God, that's a game changer, isn't it?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, This is one of the key passages that we use when we're talking about uh, the inspiration of Holy Scripture, namely the inspiration of the New Testament. Um, because certainly the gospel writers and and in the epistles, we have lots of references to the prophets. So to some extent, you might say it's a slam dunk case that the Old Testament was inspired by God because look how many references we have in the New Testament to this inspiration. But here, Peter applies those same principles to Paul in his writings. and 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 now we have another added authority— as, as if God's word is not authoritative enough, we have this added authority that Peter says Paul was not just writing on his own, too. Paul was writing um, the very words of God. And it, it's earlier in 2 Peter 3 where, where Peter makes a very strong statement about the inspiration of Holy Scripture, that these people were not carried along with their own uh, ideas. They were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And he applies that same principle to Paul. Uh, So I think that's a really important passage for us to consider the inspiration of the New Testament as well.
1: How about this thought, Pastor? I'd like to get a comment from you. The fact that the Bible is not man's word about God, it is God's word to man. Mm -hmm. What's the difference?
2: Uh, I can read a lot of history books of what people think about God. Um, Those history books aren't necessarily going to tell me anything about myself. Um, so it is it is God's word to man, but I I would also say it's it's God's word about man. Um, you know, Paul says I would not have known what coveting was if the Bible didn't tell me that that I'm covetous. I, I if if I can't see an explanation of who I am on the pages of Scripture, then I think I'm missing a very important part of what the Scriptures does. The Bible tells me who I am better than I could ever assess myself. Um, So the Bible's not just a story about who God is and who this Jesus was. Uh, It's certainly there. Um, But it's meant to be a a book where I find out who I am and how do I relate to this God that the Bible tells me about. Um, So there certainly is. The Bible is, uh, you know, literature about who God is. That's absolutely vital. But why do I care? And the Bible also tells me that too. Um, I care that this God, who created the world, who is, who has um, the powerful word to create life and the powerful word to destroy. I care that this God became one of us, made Himself nothing, um, and loved me that much. Uh, and and now He has set an eternity before me through His Son Jesus Christ. So it's. It's God's word about God, but it's also God's word about me and how I relate to this God that the Bible describes.
1: Is it fair to say that I don't need the Bible to know that God exists and that God is powerful, but I do need the Bible to know that he loves me?
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, The natural knowledge of God can only take you so far. Um, So that's why we it, in, in catechism classes or in Luther's small catechism, we distinguish between the natural law and the revealed—or or the natural knowledge of God and the revealed knowledge of God, because there are certain aspects that I would never be able to come up with myself. 1 Corinthians 1 it talks about the foolishness of the cross, right? Why would I ever look at a cross and find that as a place where something good happens? Um, yeah, I need that revealed knowledge of God.
1: Verse 16, I want to read this verse and then get a a comment from Pastor Lyon on this verse. Peter writes, he writes the same way, and he's talking about Paul. He writes the same way in all of his letters, speaking to them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort, as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. What stands out to you in that verse?
2: Two things. Um, the first one I'll mention is I think this passage can be an oddly comforting one for new Christians who are brand new to scripture. Um, for Peter to read Paul's letters and say, Man, this is tough stuff. <laughs> There's uh I, I used to teach an adult theology class here at WLC. It was an online theology class, and, and and one of the questions I asked him is, just focusing on the epistles, the letters of Paul and Peter and James and all of those, which letter would you use um, for a new Christian? And I told him, you, you can also pick which one you would absolutely not use. And every once in a while, somebody said, I don't think I would ever put Revelation in front of a brand new Christian. Um, I know Revelation wasn't written by Paul, but the same principle applies. There's some tough stuff in here. And, um, you know, I'll make another Hebrews reference. Uh, The writer to the Hebrews talks about, you should be eating spiritual meat, but you're still in the spiritual milk standpoint um, so he was using that as a condemnation of of those those Hebrew learners of scripture said you should be advancing beyond this but but I think it's also noteworthy that sometimes we're not ready for those difficult letters um Romans can be hard uh, you know you want to do an interesting podcast maybe you've done this Romans 9 is really really hard um so if you're new to the scriptures, it's okay for you to look at it and say, I just don't get this. I don't understand this. Um, that's why we want to be lifelong learners of Scripture and continue to grow. Uh, again, we we keep making reference to what's coming up here at the end of the chapter, at the end of this book. Um, but it, it it's hard to understand. But then Peter adds this other thing. Not only is it hard to understand, but he also says ignorant and unstable people will distort it. So, It's okay for me to say something's hard to understand. It's not okay for me to then say, this means something that I can understand. I'd rather you be in a place of saying, I don't understand this, than being in a place of saying, I'm going to make this say whatever I want it to say. Um, Better to be a student of the scripture than the master of the scripture and, and put your meaning on scripture.
1: That's often the genesis of false teaching. I don't understand it so I'm going to change it so that I do understand it.
2: Right, right.
1: And and what results is is false teaching.
2: Yeah, yeah. So we we certainly don't want to fall into that category. There's a third thought that I think is worth noting here and you and I have talked about it before, this idea of the other scriptures that that Peter puts what Paul writes on the same level as the Old Testament writers. So So saying as they do the other scriptures, he's not putting Paul's writing into a separate category. That was a thought that you had brought up to me that I thought was really fascinating. Hadn't given us enough thought to that. So I don't know if there's anything else you want to pile on to that thought there. or Maybe I I covered what your thought was. I
1: think you did. A a former colleague of mine uh, helped me see that in this verse. When the Bible in the New Testament uses the word scripture, you'll notice, folks, the S is always capitalized. That's referring to the Old Testament. And here, when he says the other scriptures, he's saying the the Old Testament, the writings, that's scripture, and, and those are the other scriptures. What Peter is saying is that Paul is writing the other scriptures. Right. So there's two. There's, yeah. there's what Paul wrote. There's what Peter wrote. And there's what is in the Old Testament. And of course, the Gospels falls in that category as well.
2: Yeah, and the very specific language puts them on the same equal plane. So yeah, that's a really neat thought.
1: Okay, before I go to the end here, I want to make sure something is clarified here. You can help me clarify this, Pastor, for our listeners, because the tagline here for impact is the greater our understanding of Scripture, the greater impact it has on our lives. And I stand by that. That's true. Uh, We want to dig into the Scripture and come to a greater understanding of what the Scriptures are saying so that it has a greater impact on our minds, Mm -hmm. because there's an intellectual aspect to studying Scripture. Yeah. If I understand this, I'm going to be able to better uh, apply it to my life, and it will have a greater impact on my life. If I don't understand it, the impact is not going to be what it could be. However, we just said that there are some scriptures that we we can't understand, we, we accept by faith, so that's not the kind of understanding we're after. Sometimes the understanding we get is that we can't understand it. Yeah, Did that make
2: sense? Yeah, in a roundabout way, I, th- I, th- I think so. Um, now, what you're not saying is that that understanding, a better cognitive understanding of God's Word, is going to have a greater impact on my salvation. That's not what you're saying.
1: That's not at all what I'm saying.
2: I, yeah, I know, and I'm just clarifying that. Um, Thank you. But I I think when when I think in terms of impact, My better understanding, cognitive understanding of Scripture might have a greater impact not only for me, but also for my neighbor. Um, I can have a greater impact the more I I cognitively understand certain things. The reason I think it's important to note that, that that's not what you're saying is because there are certain folks who cognitively can't grasp what Scripture says. Babies. Babies, infants. Or, or someone who has dementia or something like that. But what a comfort I can say that faith doesn't dwell logically in my head. Faith dwells in the heart, right? Um, and that's an important thing to know. But when I am gifted with cognitive ability, uh, what a blessed thing it is to dig in and understand better what Scripture is saying. But like you said, um, it's a good thing for me to come to the conclusion that I will never fully understand the Trinity. And as soon as I think I do, I probably got it wrong, you know, or even, um, uh, Jesus, uh, yeah, election, Jesus on the cross, talking to his father, you know, there's so many things in scripture that I accept by faith and, and yeah, um, getting to that place of saying, I don't understand this. And that's exactly what I have to understand. That's an important thing.
1: Okay, the final two verses of Second Peter chapter 3. Therefore, dear friends, since you already know this, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless men and fall from your secure position. So Peter tells us to be on our guard so we're not carried away by error. What's the best way to be on our guard?
2: Um, reading verse 18. And when you're done with verse 18, read it again. And then read it again and read it again. Why don't you do that for us? Uh, Yeah. Um, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. And it's always as a pastor, you always get hesitant to say the amen too soon. If you quote a passage like this in the middle of your sermon and you say amen, a few people will perk up. Wait, that's not the real amen. Hold on. But, uh, But he talks about growing in this grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The more um, I'm digging into God's Word, the more I'm growing in God's Word, the more I'm becoming aware of those false teachers who will bring false ideas and put their own twists on Scripture, and the more I can be cognitively prepared, right? We have that that phrase in Peter's letters, um, always be prepared to give an answer. So I can be on the lookout for that error. I can be on the lookout um, from the lawless Um, but my secure position is rooted in Christ. And the more that I'm in Scripture, the more I am rooted in Christ. So, So just continue to grow in that grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.
1: And I want to talk about the second half of that verse to close here, folks. We hear this verse all the time, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The second half of the verse says, to him be glory, both now and forever. So we don't need to wait, and we shouldn't wait, and we don't wait to give Jesus the glory he deserves until we get to heaven. Mm-hmm. There is plenty of opportunity to give Jesus the glory right now, and Pastor, how does that happen? How do, how do we give Jesus glory right now?
2: Yeah, Sometimes it seems like giving Jesus glory ought to be this, this grand, glorious thing that we do, um, and that, that, that we strive for, like, higher levels of glory. Might I suggest, um, one of my favorite ways of giving God, one, one of my favorite examples of giving God glory now is the humble care of a mother who takes care of her child. And you say, well, how how in the world does that give God glory? Um, well, consider the high position that God has put you in. To say that you are going to care for a human being for a life, and God looks at that and says, well done, good and faithful servant. And 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 the you know this this humble mom who's just changing a dirty diaper says, when did I ever do anything glorious? And Jesus says, I saw it, right. Um just these these seemingly mundane things that we live our everyday life um out of out of love for neighbor, um and totally freely, not because we have to, but because there's someone who needs taken care of. God says, Well done. Good for you. This is another crown in your or another jewel in your crown. Um so so giving giving God glory in our life does not always have to be a grand and majestic thing. It might just be cooking a dinner for your family. It might just be, um, you know, going to work and just uh, being the person that God has created you to be, both physically and spiritually. That gives God glory. Um, and he and He loves to see you be his hands and feet in in the world that he has given to us.
1: Very good, Pastor. Well, thank you for your thoughts. Thank you for your time on all of First and Second Peter. And when I come back with my microphone later on, maybe this summer, we'll sit down and we'll uh, tackle a chapter in Hebrews.
2: Yeah, and if it took us what eight eight to do Second uh, Peter and First Peter, oh, well, maybe more. But I don't know how many. How many chapters in Hebrews? Uh, twelve. Th- yeah, twelve. No, third, third Oh boy. <laughs>
1: It's, wait, it's, wait a minute. It's 13, I okay, you were the okay, Hebrews hang on,
2: hang on. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm drawing a blank. It, Hebrews 12. It's got to be 13, right?
1: Well, uh, let's wait. You're dialing it up on your iPad. Yeah, is that an
2: iPad? It is an iPad. Yeah, it's it's got to be 13. I think. It's 13.
1: Well, we've done uh, Tim Rimple, who you know the Rimple name, uh, Illinois it, Lutheran, and yes, Crete, yes, where uh, you grew up, where you were I've born known right? in my entire
2: life. 13, by the way. It 13 is, chapters, yeah, okay.
1: Yeah. He's been on Impact a few times, and uh, we've done, I think, two Hebrews chapters with uh, him and I. We've talked about, I forget which numbers, but we can do them again. Yeah, yeah. All right. Very so good. God's blessings on your ministry here at Wisconsin Lutheran College.
2: And to you with Impact.
1: And folks, coming up in the coming weeks on Impact will be episodes on the parable of the unmerciful servant, also on Jesus washing his disciples' feet, Psalm 90, fantastic psalm. We'll do that with Pastor Clinton from St. Andrew and an episode with Professor Luke Thompson from Martin Luther College on his list of 13 Bible passages every Christian should know. That's all coming up in the coming weeks and months here on Impact. So thank you for being here. I appreciate your prayers for this podcast ministry. And I want to close with these verses from Isaiah 65. See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. God be with you.
0: Thank you for listening to Impact, the ministry of St. Andrew Lutheran Church in Middleton, Wisconsin. If you have a question or feedback to share, send an email to impact at st-andrew-online.org. Please tell your friends and family about Impact and keep this ministry in your prayers. Impact is new every Monday and all past episodes are available. The greater you understand scripture, the greater impact it will have on your life.